0: Welcome to this week's message. We hope you enjoy this teaching from Pastor Chris Dirksen, the Executive Pastor here at Southland Church. For more information about this message and other resources, visit MySouthland.com. Let's uh, keep going in our series here on a psalm, Summer in the Psalms. And uh, last couple of weeks we were in Psalm 23. Uh, today uh, I want to do Psalm 69, which is one of the mad psalms. And just a little bit of background, I was uh, a little bit stressing, not crazy, but a little bit stressing this week, this whole Summer in the Psalms thing, I'm obviously not working through chapter by chapter, because there's 150 chapters, and it would take us a long, long time. So I kind of have to pick random psalms out. See, when we were doing Romans, it was easy. I knew what I was preaching on next week, I just go to the next chapter. With psalms, I have to figure out which psalm every week I'm going to do, and so Thursday morning, I still didn't have a psalm. And uh, oh my, oh my. What are we about to hear today? It's going to be really <laughs> poor quality. Um, so Thursday morning, I'm, I'm praying, well, Lord, I need a psalm. And I'm praying, and of course, you know, oh, this one, I like that one. But can't... And then Ray Yoder jokingly said, he said, you should do one of the mad ones. <laughs> and uh, I just thought, well, and so I looked at it and I said, okay, God, let's do it. And the moment I just started working on it, I felt like a message started to flow. So we're going to do Psalm 69. It's one of the mad psalms. And, but before we read in Psalm 69... Uh, I want to just take a moment and say a couple of things about the psalms in general because as we've been doing this series, I've been studying the psalms and, and seeing them in a new light and learning a lot of things. And So the first thing I wanted to say before we get into Psalm 69 is this, is that the psalms were written to shape both our thinking and our feeling. Now today we're going to talk a lot more about the feeling side of things, but you do have to understand, I want to just take a minute at the beginning, that the psalms are not just about feelings. They are about feelings and that's the rest of this message but they are also for our thinking. And I think uh, sometimes we kind of subconsciously write off the Psalms. If I want to learn doctrine, I read Romans. If I want to read uh, poetry and feel something, I read the Psalms. And th- it's true, the Psalms are about feeling. There's no question. But there's more to the Psalms than just feeling. One of the things I learned uh, this week as I was studying on the Psalms is, as many of you don't know, when you're reading through the book of Psalms, it's divided up into books. It's divided up into five different sections. The book of Psalms is, is, is in five books or five sections. And, uh, and some commentators believe that that was intentional, that the person who put the Psalms together, who, uh, who gathered them and, and grouped them together into the book we have today, did that intentionally to parallel the five books of the law, the five books of Moses, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. And the significance of that is that uh, whoever put these Psalms together clearly saw these Psalms not just as feelings and poetry, but saw them as a parallel to the law. That they work hand in hand with the law. And so the Psalms teach us a lot about right and wrong. And in fact, if you go, if you've been doing the the weekly challenges so far and you've been reading through the Psalms during the summer, during this series, you'll notice that the Psalms talk a lot about right and wrong. They talk a lot about the law. It's all over the place. So the Psalms are not just about feeling. They are certainly about thinking. They are certainly about right and wrong. We learn lots about God, lots about ourselves lots about God's moral law in the Psalms, okay? And so just because they're poetry doesn't mean that nothing in there is, is, you know, fact and truth. There's lots in there, but it is poetry, okay? Now, of course, having said all that, it is supposed to shape our thinking. It's also, the Psalms are unique in the Bible because they are poetry. They are unique in their ability also not only to shape our thinking, but also to shape our feelings. Okay, and I think that's really important. And godly people are supposed to feel their feelings, okay? Godly people are supposed to be able to feel their feelings. And when I say that, I don't just mean the spiritual ones. See, a lot of us, and, and it's our culture, and it's not just our Christian culture, I think it's our culture in general in the West sometimes, Um, But certainly in Christian culture, we kind of have this idea, I don't know if we ever consciously would say it, but many of us have this sort of idea that some some of our feelings are spiritual and some of our feelings are not spiritual. And so we have certain feelings that you're allowed to feel as a Christian. If you feel joyful, you're allowed to feel that. That means you are a good Christian. If you feel love and happiness and peace, those are good feelings. If you feel despair... Or hopeless or angry, we oftentimes don't know what to do with those feelings. And I think that sometimes we feel like, if I'm feeling certain feelings, I'm not a good Christian, I don't have enough faith, I'm not full of the Spirit, because if I was full of the Spirit, I wouldn't feel these feelings. And sometimes I think well-meaning Christians, and probably all of us at various points, well-meaning Christians trying to be good, We talk to people who are maybe in despair or we talk to people who are going through something difficult and they're hurting or they're sad or they're depressed or whatever. And and we tell them things like, well, you just got to have more faith. You just got to break through. You just got to have, you just got to, you got to, if you just would pray more, the Holy Spirit's going to just download this joy or whatever. And we entrench this idea that certain feelings are for godly people and certain feelings are for weak people. But one of the things we learn in the Psalms is that that is not true, because the Psalms are all the inspired Word of God, and what we find in the inspired Word of God is Holy Spirit-filled people, uh, you know, in in large majority, David, but also some others wrote some of the Psalms, but we find Spirit-filled people who felt despair, spirit-filled people who felt depression, spirit-filled people who felt hopeless, spirit-filled people who felt angry, and all kinds of things. And the Psalms show us how to feel those feelings in a godly way. And so, for example, uh, one example I want to show you before we get to Psalm 69 and anger, I want to show you, and there's many. I could show you many, 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 many. Okay? But, for example, uh, Psalm 102 Uh, We see this with David, verse 3, and again, the point I want to get across before we get into the anger one is that feelings in and of themselves aren't bad, okay? Now, sometimes what we do with our feelings, that can be bad, but feelings in and of themselves are not bad, and we see here David, uh, inspired by the Holy Spirit, feeling depression, and look at this in verse 3, for my days pass away like smoke, and my bones burn like a furnace. Now, he just had a way of putting things into words. You know, when I'm having a bad day, I just kind of, oh, I'm having a bad day. And he says, my days pass away like smoke and my bones burn like a furnace. My heart is struck down like grass and has withered. I forget to eat my bread. By the way, loss of appetite is considered to be uh, a common symptom of depression. He's in a bad place. I forget to eat my bread. I'm not even hungry anymore. I feel like my heart has withered. Has any of you ever been there before? Some of you are maybe in that place right now. He goes on, he says... excuse me, I am like a desert owl of the wilderness, like an owl of the waste places. I lie awake. I am like a lonely sparrow on the housetop, for I eat ashes like bread and mingle tears with my drink. So loneliness, waste places, uh, bones like smoke and all this sort of stuff. uh, David is really feeling down. And I think a lot of Christians would say, okay, you're allowed to have one day like that, but on by day two, you better snap out of it right? Like, just snap out of it. Spend some time with God already. Have some faith. Grab onto the verse that helped me 20 years ago when I was going through my thing. You know, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me or whatever. And often we're well-meaning. We just throw a verse out there and snap out of it. Okay? But here we find David, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, expressing his his depression to God. He's going through a very bad season. I don't want to get into Psalm 102 too much because we're, we're going to go to Psalm uh, 69. But again, and, and of course, thankfully, now I don't want anyone to get the wrong idea here, um, certainly when I say that these things are not bad enough of themselves, I don't mean to say that um, when we're in heaven, we're going to have depression or some of these, these feelings. We're not going to be depressed in heaven. There's not going to be sadness in heaven. But here on earth, because, because we just live in a broken world, this is part of our human experience, and it's not sin in and of itself. To feel afraid is not a sin. To feel depressed is not a sin. To feel despair or to feel anger, these things are not sin. Sometimes what we do in them. Now, sometimes people wallow in them unnecessarily, but this is part of our human experience And what the Psalms do is the Psalms give us a vehicle for how do I feel these feelings with God? How do I bring these feelings to God and feel these feelings with God? And I think that's one of the reasons why the Psalms are so powerful. And so today we're going to look at a Psalm that is anger, that is angry, okay? And it's one of those Psalms, it's one of the reasons I picked it, is because A lot of us, including myself, various times until I really, you know, took some time to think it through and pray about it and and look into it, a lot of us don't really know what to do with Psalms like this. There's a few angry ones, and I'm going to read you some verses in here, and a lot of us just kind of cringe. Like, when we read this in our Bible, it's sort of (laughs) like, it's almost like, hey, what was that? Kind of go to the next one quickly. Like, how is that? Am I allowed to think that? Am I allowed to pray that? Am I allowed to read that out loud? We're almost, it's almost like I think in many cases we're actually a little embarrassed of some of these psalms. Many of us are a little embarrassed of psalms like Psalm 69 because it's like that, that doesn't match up with love your neighbor and and love your enemy and bless those who curse you. And so I want to show you that there is no contradictions in Scripture, but first let's start with a couple things. First of all, the psalms are the inspired word of God, just like the Gospels. So whatever's in here, is from the Holy Spirit, and it is without error, okay? There's not, no contradictions. The other thing I want to tell you, which is very interesting, which you found out this week, is this Psalm 69, which is sort of like a psalm that many modern Christians today would be a little embarrassed of, is the second most quoted psalm in all the New Testament. In other words, the New Testament authors were not embarrassed of Psalm 69. Peter quotes it in the book of Acts. In, a, uh, in an evangelistic sermon. Uh, Paul quotes it in Romans chapter 11. Jesus quotes it when he's on the cross. It's quoted uh, second most of all the Psalms in the New Testament. The New Testament authors were not embarrassed of Psalm 69. It's an angry Psalm. So let me just read you. It's a long Psalm. It's 36 verses. So I'm gonna read you uh, two sections and basically the chapter itself can be broken into two halves. The first 18 verses are all about excuse me, pardon me. The first 18 verses are all about You know how bad things are going for David, and and the the stuff he's going through. The second half of the 18 verses are all that's kind of the embarrassing part or the fun part, whatever you think here this morning. That's where David gets really mad at the people who are putting him through this. And then of course the ending, he turns to hope, which is really good. But I'm just going to read you two little sections here: the first four verses, and then and then the first four, and then uh, 21 through 24. Okay, so David says this in Psalm 69: Save me, O God. For the waters have come up to my neck. I sink in deep mire where there is no foothold. I have come into deep waters, and a flood sweeps over me. I am weary with my crying out. My throat is parched. My eyes grow dim with waiting for my God. More in number than the hairs of my head are those who hate me without cause. Mightier those who would destroy me, those who attack me with lies. What I did not steal must I now restore. So, this is just a little section from that first half. He's detailing all the stuff he's going through and how bad it is. Now I'm just going to switch. I'm just going to read you another chunk from the second half of this chapter. And this is where things get angry, okay? They gave me poison for food, he says, okay? They gave me poison for food and for my thirst they gave me sour wine to drink. Let their own table before them become a snare and when they are at peace, let it become a trap. Let their eyes be darkened so that they cannot see and make their loins tremble continually. Pour out your indignation upon them and let your burning anger overtake them. Okay, so that second half there, that's the part, and I didn't read you all of it, it goes on uh, further than that. But in that second half, that's the part that we don't, as Christians, know what to do with it. Okay, because it sure seems like a, like a, like a direct contradiction with Jesus' words in the Gospels. In fact, I'm going to put Jesus' words up there just so you can see kind of the contrast there. Luke chapter 6, verses 27 to 28. And uh, in Luke chapter 6, 27 to 28, Jesus says this, but I say to you who hear, love your enemies, do good to those who hate you, bless those who curse you, pray for those who abuse you. Now, when you have these two passages up side by side, it really is, you look at these things and you go, what are we to do with this, okay? Like this just looks like a direct contradiction. Obviously, we should tear Psalm 69 out of our Bibles and pretend it never happened. It was an embarrassing moment, okay, in the, in the whole thing of putting the Bible together okay? But here's the thing you have to realize. Forgiveness is a process, and the feelings expressed in Psalm 69 are sometimes a necessary part of the process of moving to forgiveness, okay? This is really, really important that you get this. When Jesus says in two short verses, see, what we have when we have the sayings of Jesus in the Gospels, we don't have everything he taught on a subject, okay? Um, Like, for example, the Sermon on the Mount, he probably preached the Sermon on the Mount for hours and hours and hours, maybe a half a day or more, okay? We don't have half a day's worth of words in the Sermon on the Mount, okay? What we have is a Holy Spirit-inspired synopsis that the gospel writers basically summed up the main points under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit and got what the Holy Spirit wanted us to have for all time, okay? And so when Jesus teaches on forgiveness like this, we get a couple of short sentences We don't get, this is not the comprehensive teaching, how to forgive. We don't get the comprehensive teaching that actually forgiveness often takes time. I don't know about any of you who's ever had to try to forgive someone. Has any of you ever had to try to forgive someone? Okay? It's not as easy as just love them and bless them, is it? Depending on how bad it was. Sometimes it takes a little bit of time, doesn't it, to get to forgiveness. Jesus isn't saying here, this isn't Jesus' comprehensive teaching the steps to forgiveness. What he's doing for us here is he's saying, if you're my follower, this is where you're going to end up. If you're my follower, you are not going to rest until you end up loving them and blessing those who hurt you. Okay? But what he doesn't talk about in these little two two sentences here, he doesn't talk about is the fact that often this takes time, and there is a process to get to loving your enemies and blessing those who have cursed you, okay? Psalm 69 is another snapshot in the process, and Psalm 69 is also not the final word. We shouldn't end on Psalm 69. We shouldn't finish by cursing our enemies, but... What Psalm 69 gives us is a part of the process of moving to loving your enemies is that sometimes in cases where you have been very seriously wronged or hurt, there is an appropriate expression of anger that if you, don't, if you don't bring that anger to God, if you don't express it to God, you won't be able to move to real forgiveness. See, here's what happens, I think, too often as Christians. We take love your enemies and bless those who curse you, and we try to get there too quickly. Because we feel bad, we feel like it should be instantaneous. So someone hurts me, and now what I quickly say, I've seen examples like this in my, in my years of ministry here at, at Southland. I've seen instances where, whether it be a spouse or a business partner, a family member, whatever, and another spouse or a business partner, whatever, someone that was close, there was, there was trust, and someone did something very seriously to wrong this person. And this person, trying to be well-meaning, when they say sorry, they just say, Oh, I forgive you, don't worry about it. Okay? Because, and and they're well-meaning, they're really trying to do the right thing. Because they think, I just have to forgive. And so right there in the moment, they just say, I forgive you, don't worry about it, it's okay. Okay? But really, that, that kind of a very quick forgiveness is often shallow and tinny and it doesn't get right to the core of the heart. It's like this. If I would get an injury where I would get cut really deep into my leg. Like, let's say, you know, uh, and, and I don't know what would do it, but something, you know, I'm, I'm playing with a skill saw for some reason or something or, or some kind of tool. And I shouldn't be. and and, uh, and I go into my leg down to the bone. So I cut through the muscle, I cut through the flesh, lots of blood, and I even cut into the bone. Now... I can look down, so there's blood squirting out, you know, with each heart pump, and it's like, oh, I know, pass out probably is what I would do, but let's imagine that instead of passing out, I just think, okay, now, am I going to, you know, the hard work to really get this thing healed up, I need to like, I mean, we need to get into that wound, we need to clean it out, I probably need to have surgery, you know, put the muscles together, do something with the bone, whatever it is, and then, you know, stitch it up and clean it up, but maybe I don't have the courage to face all of that. Or maybe I'm just like, I just want to go back to to normal life. Like, I kind of had a day planned out here, and I don't want to lose what's going on. I don't want to shake that up. So I'm just going to kind of put a band-aid over top. Is that going to fix things? It's not going to fix things. That's going to be a surface solution that is going to lead to me long-term pain. It's not going to lead to full healing, to the core of that wound. It's just papering over something. Too quick forgiveness is just like that. It's papering over a wound. It's, I, it's whether it's because I don't have the courage to face up to what's going on, or whether it is I just like the way life is right now, and I don't want to. I don't have to work through this process, and, and I just want to keep going with how things are. It's just easier. So we paper over it, but we don't get to the core. And the thing is, it'll never heal that way. It'll cause us much long-term pain. In the long term, if I don't work with a wound that's that deep, I may lose function of my leg. I may lose all kinds of things. I may lose the leg itself. There may be infection. There may be all kinds of things. And it's the same with forgiveness. When I'm wounded deeply, before I paper that thing over and just say, it's okay, I first have to confront the injustices that have been done to me, and I have to work through those things and process them with God. Now, the whole time I'm doing that, I've got Luke 6 in my head, which is I'm not stopping on this process as a follower of Jesus Christ. I'm not allowed to stop on this process until I get to love and bless. But I'm also not going to fake it. I'm not going to pretend I'm there when I'm not. If I'm going to get to the core to forgive from the bottom of my heart, from the depths of my heart, then I've got to go down into the depths of my heart and deal with the stuff that's there as a result of the things that have been done to me. And so Psalm 69 is a wonderful gift to us. It's a wonderful gift to us in that it shows us how to take our anger to God. I should just say this, anger is the appropriate response, by the way, to injustice and evil. Sometimes I think we think, if I just got mature enough spiritually, I wouldn't feel angry. God feels angry. If I I just got strong enough spiritually, I wouldn't react with anger. Uh, No, no, the Holy Spirit, God, anger is an approach. Now, it's not always to be a quick tempered person, to always be mad, to get mad over little things. That is a sinful thing. But anger itself is not a bad emotion. A spouse, for example, you find out that that your other, your wife or your husband committed adultery, if you don't feel anger in that situation, it actually means something is deeply unhealthy in the relationship. Like actually, if you find out your spouse committed adultery, the the healthy response is you should feel angry. Now, don't sin in your anger. Did you know that the Bible teaches that? The Bible does not teach us not to be angry. The Bible teaches us not to sin in our anger. Ephesians 4.26, look at this. This is Paul. Be angry and do not sin. That's what he says. The Bible does not teach us to not feel anger. The Bible doesn't teach us to suppress anger, okay? The Bible teaches us not to sin in our anger. And again, let me just give you the caveat. I know that quick-temperedness, quick I'm not talking, some of you are going, yes! <laughs> Preach it, brother, because you just fly off the handle every other day and you're just losing your marbles constantly. That is not what I'm talking about, okay? I'm talking about legitimate anger, something, an injustice, you know, your spouse committed adultery or you see injustice in the world, a child has been abused or someone has been taken advantage of or bullied or whatever, anger is an appropriate response. The Bible says, be angry and do not sin. Okay, do not let the sun go down on your anger and give no opportunity to the devil. Now let's just look at that, do not let the sun go down on your anger bit for just a second because that's kind of a popular passage in the Bible. And what it means is, uh, don't do, don't prolong your anger unnecessarily. In most cases, okay, in the vast majority of cases of our interactions with other people, our coworkers, our spouses, our kids, most of the interactions we have, when stuff gets done to us that, causes us that causes us to be angry, we should deal with it that day. This takes courage. But instead of pushing it down and pretending it didn't happen, confront it, talk about it, say the apologies, get done with it in a day, it'll save you a lot of sin in the, in the long run, okay? Now, sometimes people take this passage too far, and they kind of feel like anything that ever happens to you that makes you angry, you should be done with that anger by nightfall. This verse does not mean that in all cases, all the time, you should be done in one day. There are certain, most cases, most relational cases deal with it the same day. That's just a great rule of thumb. Thank you, Holy Spirit. But some things are too hard and too deep and too bad and too unjust to deal with in a single day. Some things take longer, okay? Psalm 69 and what David is going through gives us an example of one of those cases where sometimes working through it takes longer than a day. And so Psalm 69, we go back to Psalm 69, David says this in verse 3, I am weary with my crying out. This has been longer than a day. I mean, let's not just pass over these words coldly. What would cause David to write I am weary with crying out. We don't know. I I looked in a bunch of different places, commentators and stuff. We don't know. Nobody knows exactly the situation that David was going through that caused this psalm to be written. But whatever it was, he said he was weary. Have you ever been weary of crying out? That that takes longer than a day or two. Have you ever been in a period where you just feel like you're in a black hole and it goes months and months and the first month you were okay because you thought it's going to be over, it's going to be over, it's going to be over but now it's been four months, five months, six months, maybe it's been a year, maybe it's been two years and you're still stuck in that hole. David says, I am weary. You get to this place where you just say, I'm weary with crying out. I'm actually tired out of being so discouraged and so depressed, it's a gigantic black hole, and I don't see a way out, okay? Now, the thing with David's situation is, it's not just some random depression, it's not just some random bad thing that happened to him, it's actually bad people. In this case, it's bad people who are doing very bad things to him that are causing him to feel this way, and so that's where the anger is going to come in later in this chapter. So now, what do you do when bad people do terrible things to you? What do you do when injustices happen to you? Where do you go? What do you do? That's what Psalm 69 is. I want to show you a process, okay? The point of me showing you these points, I'm going to show you a few points that we take out of Psalm 69. The point of this is not to make it a formula, but the fact of the matter is that Psalm 69 gives us a pathway. David has modeled it for us. Let's just look at what he does. And he gives us a pathway, he gives us a model that when people are doing things to you or have done things to you and you need to work to forgiveness like Jesus wants you to, here's a pathway you can follow that will lead to forgiveness by the power of the Holy Spirit, all right? So processing our anger, we start in verse one. David says, save me, oh God. Processing your anger, save me, oh God. The first thing I want you to notice here is that David isn't processing his anger with other people, he's processing it with God. Now, Time out. I'm not against processing your anger with other people. In fact, in many cases, we will need other people to do it. But here's the thing many of us have got parched throats from crying out to other people about the injustices done to us, but we don't have parched throats from crying out to God. David had a parched throat from crying out to God. We should include other people in this process of healing. Often we will need other people in this process of healing, and often God himself will point us to other people to humble us in our process of healing. But let us not forget that actually this is how the people of God, this is how the sheep of God deal with their issues. We go to the shepherd. He will want us to include other sheep in the process, but if we only parch our throats crying out to other people, we've missed the main reason why we go through stuff in this world, which is to point us back to the shepherd. Amen. And the shepherd wants to pull us in. So David starts with, not with his psychologist, his psychiatrist, his psychotherapist, his counselor, all those sorts of things. I'm not against any of those. Love it. They do a lot of good. Not against any of that stuff. Okay? Okay. But in, it, in our culture, and we have access to that, and that's wonderful that we have access to some of these resources, and they can be a huge help to people, and if you need them, you need to go there. But here's the thing. In David's time, he didn't have people like that to run to. He had maybe some loved ones, but they weren't trained. Okay? And for 2,000 years, well, more than 2,000, thousands of years, and we look around the world today... They don't have trained professionals to walk them through stuff. Again, I'm glad we have trained professionals. That's amazing and we should make use of them. That's a real benefit and a bonus we have in our culture. But that's not where David goes. He goes, save me, oh God. God should be the first one we go to. He should be the central one we go to. He should be the main one we go to. If you want to actually process your anger, do you know why the sovereign God allowed those things to happen to you in the first place that have made you mad? It's because the whole reason you're here on planet Earth is to know Him. So the reason He hasn't just taken you up to heaven already is He's got more things for you to discover and grow in first. So He's allowed things in your life so that you will go to Him. So that he can can work in your character and he can show you things about himself that you otherwise wouldn't know. David says, save me, oh God. So the first thing, nothing else in this process works unless you remember this. We process our anger with God. Yes, include other people. Yes, include counseling and all that sort of stuff, whatever you need it. Absolutely, please do it. But let us not forget that we process our anger with God. That's the point. With God. But we keep moving here. How do we do that? When we bring our anger to God, how do we bring our anger to God? And the first thing I'm going to show you in just a second is that David tells God what he's feeling in detail. Okay? The emotions and sensations in your body. Now, a bunch of guys are reading this up on the screen right now and they're going, oh, great. Touchy-feely, whatever. Like... This is just a bunch of, you know, fill in the blanks, whatever that you want to think. And, and you just think, oh, you know, like, I'm just not into that. That's, my wife needs that, and, and women need that, and some artsy guys need that, but maybe Chris needs that, and Ray Yoder for sure needs that, but, <laughs> but I don't need that, right? Like, I'm a, I'm a successful man. I'm a man's man. I'm a business person. I'm successful. I don't need feelings except maybe anger. Um, but other than that, I don't need feelings. Don't talk to me. Process my anger with God. This sounds like, you know, mumbo-jumbo. Tell God what you feel in detail. Emotions and sensations in your body. Okay, well, I'm going to, first of all, I'm not making this up. I'm just going to show you what David did. I told you that. We're just going to look at the inspired word of God, but before we even do that, I just want to remind you of something. If you consider yourself to be a man's man, okay, David was more of a man than you. Okay, like this guy, see, I know how us guys work. You put a bunch of guys in a room, take out the girls, you know, because the girls are the ones they are kind of the tempering influence, right? But you take them out, you put a bunch of guys in a room, the testosterone just goes to a boiling level almost immediately. Stories start to get shor- shared. I know, I'm, I'm a guy. So we're in a room, right away stories are getting shared. Well, I, like I once jumped off a cliff this high. Well, I jumped off a cliff this high, okay? Broke both my legs. Can't even walk anymore, but hey, now this is, I'm a man, right? So I ate a pepper this hot, I ate a pepper this hot, and it's a hotter... I ended up in a hospital only to pepper that. I said, it's true in my case. And it just goes on and on and on, right? So we're always sharing stories. I'm a man's man, right? And so David is one of the guys you don't want to have to that party. Because you're bragging about in your 20s, you did such and such. You put a dent in a guy's visor with a slap shot playing hockey. And David's like, yeah, I killed a bear with a slingshot. And you're like, I shot some, you know, some buck at like 100 yards with a high-powered rifle. He's like... I took on a nine-foot giant and put him in the ground with a stone this big, right? I killed a lion. I did all this stuff, you know, and he just, he's a man's man, okay? And here's the thing. Throughout the Psalms, what do we see David doing again and again and again? And besides being a man's man, he was just successful. He was an amazing leader in battle. People loved to follow him. When he became king, he was an incredible leader and king. People wanted to follow him. And he was, he was successful in everything he did, really. And yet we find him throughout the Psalms, this guy who was successful, was an incredible leader, we find him bringing his feelings to God. See, having feelings and feeling your feelings and bringing your feelings to God is not a sign of weakness. In fact, a sign of weakness is not having feelings. In many cases, it's because we're afraid of our feelings. We really don't know what to do with them. David felt his feelings and he brought his feelings to God. And so we read in these verses, For the waters have come up to my neck. I sink in deep mire where there is no foothold. I have come into deep waters and the flood sweeps over me. I am weary with my crying out. My throat is parched. My eyes grow dim with waiting for my God. I I just throw in verse 19 as well. You know my reproach and my shame and my dishonor. My foes are all known to you. And I just want you to notice the feeling words in there. You know, there's the, uh, can you put up the next one? Uh, That'd be great. Yeah, my reproach and my shame and my dishonor. My foes are all known to you. All the feeling words and all the descriptions. I'm in waters up to my neck. I mean, it doesn't just capture something. Like, I'm just about to go under. I'm not going to be able to handle this much longer. I'm desperate. I feel ashamed. Okay? I feel dishonored. I feel afraid. And so he's bringing his feelings. I also want you to notice sometimes it's hard for us. How do I do this? For some of us, we're so shut off. We don't know how to feel. We're so shut off that when we go to God, it's like, I don't feel anything. Well, is. it's interesting to me that David even goes to sensations in his body. He talks about his throat being parched his eyes, his eyes are dim from waiting on God. He's crying out. He feels anxious. This is, this is what we do with God. Here's the thing see, emotions aren't weakness. Emotions were created by God, they were created for relationship. If you only ever, always live in your head, you're never going to be able to really connect that closely with other people or with God. Did you know that? Because we're not robots emotions are the doorway into the soul. Emotions are the doorway to intimacy and to connect. So emotions are the doorway with which we can connect to God. So when I feel things, if I bring those things to God, if I only, now of course, there are days when you just feel nothing. I'm not saying you've got to work up something every day. There are days and weeks you just kind of feel nothing. You just go, but I'm not telling you to work something up. But when we have feelings, and when we feel them strongly, we bring them to God. Now, I look at the, the, the sensations in my body, and I just journal it out to God. This is David journaling. This is how we're reading it. He wrote it down. So we journal out to God. My stomach's in knots. I feel so anxious. My head is pounding because I can't sleep. I'm so stressed out. You detail your feelings to God, and it's a doorway to connect with God that you can't if you only ever relate to Him out of your head actually your emotions are a wonderful gift from God to connect to him. And so David shows us. This isn't me making up mumbo jumbo. I'm just showing you a, a, a pathway. And as you read through the Psalms this summer, I want you to notice how often this similar pattern comes up again and again and again. I sit down with God with my journal, David says, or whoever else is writing the Psalm, and I bring to God what's happening. What's happening? My stomach is in knots, my head is pounding, my eyes are dim, I'm, I'm afraid, I'm discouraged, I'm angry, whatever it is. He details his emotions and sensations to God. And if you're doing this really well, if you begin to do this well, you will actually begin to feel your feelings with God. This is what it means to process. Remember we talked about before that deep wound. Before I cover up that deep wound, I've got to get some help. I've got to get the doctors to go in there and do surgery, clean it out, whatever. I've got to get them to go to the core of that wound. It's the same thing in my heart. I've got these deep feelings. If I just paper over it and call it forgiveness, I'm not getting to the bottom of it. If I go into the presence of God and I feel my feelings, even the unspiritual ones. See, God doesn't want you just to come to him with your happiness. He wants you to come to him with everything because he's the shepherd and he wants to take care of you. So you go to him, and you feel your anxiety with him. And you don't feel guilty. Like, so often we go to God, and we go kind of like, no, I feel bad. I shouldn't feel afraid, because the fact I'm afraid means I don't have faith. So God doesn't want to hear about that. So, sorry, Lord, I'm kind of feeling afraid, and then we just kind of try to move on. No, 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 no. You're afraid. He sees it. Go to him and just tell him, oh, I'm terrified. I'm anxious. I'm angry. Detail it out to him. Spend time journaling. And if you do this, if you, don't want your, if you want your forgiveness to just be in your head, operate on the head level. If you want your forgiveness to come from the heart, you've got to operate with God on the heart level, which is really important. I just missed a page there. I just about had a panic attack. thought I was missing the last couple of points here. Feeling my feelings in front of you all, right? Number two. So first, he feels his feelings with God. He tells God what he's feeling in detail. Spend time with it, okay? Number two he lists out to God the wrongs that have been done to him. Okay, so this is the second thing David does. First he, and again, the point of this is not a formula that you always go in this order. You know, different psalms, it'll go in a different order. These are just important ingredients, common ingredients we see throughout the psalms. So don't get hung up on, I gotta do this and this and this and this. The point is, these are the things that David does. So the second thing is, he lists out to God the wrongs that have been done to him. And again, this is another thing that many of us as Christians feel bad doing. We feel like, I shouldn't do this because I'm supposed to forgive, right? So I'm supposed to forgive, so that means I don't think about it, so I just push it down. Bad things were done to me, oh Lord, forgive them. Help me to forgive them. Help me, God, to forgive them. I just don't want to think about it. Help me not to think about it. That is actually not how you deal with a wound. So the second thing we see David doing is he confronts head on, these are the injustices that were done to me. If you don't confront them head on, you can't process them with God. So you look at those things with God. Again, this is not just you in your room by your own making yourself mad. This is you doing it with God. With God, I'm going to look at what was done to me. So look at what David says in verse 4. More in number than the hairs of my head. And I could show you a number of verses in in this chapter where he does this, but I'll just have time for one here. More in number than the hairs of my head are those who hate me without cause. So there's one thing he says. People are hating me without cause. That hurts. Doesn't it hurt? They're hating me without reason. There's, if I had done something, fine, but they're hating me for no reason. He lists that out and he says, mighty are those who would destroy me. So there's people in positions of power, more than one, a whole bunch of them, who are literally intentionally trying to destroy him. They're trying to ruin his kingship. They're trying to take away what belongs to him. We don't know all the details exactly, but people in positions of power are trying actively to destroy him. He lists that out. Those who attack me with lies, they're lying about me. He just brings that right to God. They're telling outright falsehoods. It just feels terrible. That's not true. What they're saying about me is not true. What did I steal that I, or what I did not steal must I now restore? Again, we don't know all the details of what's happening that are causing him to write this Psalm 69, but whatever's happening here, there's something going on. People are making up lies about him, and he's going to have to pay a large sum for something he didn't do. So that's part of it, part of whatever else is all going on here. He just lists it out to God. You process your anger with God. You bring to God the things that have been done to you. In order to truly forgive the wrongs that have been done to us, we first have to acknowledge and confront the wrongs that have been done to us. We don't pretend that they weren't wrong. We don't pretend that they're okay. True forgiveness is not saying what they did to me was okay. That is not true forgiveness. That is an unhealthy thing and it doesn't lead to the fruit of true forgiveness. Pretending that something bad that was done to you was not bad is unjust. We confront, and again, depending on how serious it is, you may need help to do this with a counselor of some kind of pastor, you know, whatever, okay? But we process this with God. We don't just do it with other people. We do it with God. And we bring these things to him and we confront the fact that it was bad what was done to us. Now, I want you to notice, too, that David does this with humility. Verse 5, I love this next verse. Oh God, so right in the middle, he's making a list of all things that have been done to him and he just stops. And right in the middle of it, he says, oh God, you know my folly. Oh God, you know my folly, the wrongs I have done are not hidden from you. In the midst of this whole process, David does not pretend that he's perfect. And this is also an important part of this forgiveness pathway, this dealing, processing your anger is that you're in a situation and now sometimes, I'm not saying every situation you did something wrong. Some situations, it's just outright 100% that other person is 100% the wrong and you literally did nothing wrong. But many times in our responses, in how things happened, we actually played a part. We made it worse or we responded in an ungodly way. And so this is actually part of the healing process is discerning with God, how should I have responded? How have I not done it well? And discerning with him your own folly and your own mistakes and confessing those things to him. It's part of the healing process. And I love this next verse, verse six. This is just an incredible prayer. In the midst of David's suffering so deeply, this verse six is incredible. He says, This let not those who hope in you be put to shame through me. Is that not an incredible prayer? Let not those who hope in you be put to shame through me, O Lord God of hosts. Let not those who seek you be brought to dishonor through me. Oh God of Israel. You know what I love about this? Even in the midst of his suffering, David cares about the example he's setting for other godly people. In the midst of his suffering, people are lying about him and they're attacking him and they're trying to destroy his life and he's like, I know there's a bunch of people hanging on, if I'm a coat hook, there's people whose faith is hanging on me. Let not the godly be put to shame through the way I carry myself in this suffering. You know, oftentimes in suffering, we get awfully selfish. And it's just like, I'm going to blow up. I'm going to do whatever comes easy because I'm suffering right now. And we don't think about the fact that many people are watching how we suffer. They're watching how we respond. They're watching how we walk through this thing with our enemies. And David says, I don't want the godly to be put to shame by the way I walk through this. Let not the godly be put to shame because of me. Oh, I wish that would become our prayer in the di- prayers in the days to come. That as suffering in our culture and as the attack goes up more and more and more, that in our hearts we would take this to the deepest place and we would say, I don't want to bring shame or disrepute on the name of Christ with the way I walk through this this business injustice or this whatever family injustice or whatever. Let not the godly be brought to dishonor through me. All right, now we come to number four. After David looks at his own faults and prays that he would not dishonor the godly or bring shame to God through his actions in this whole thing, now David finally expresses his anger, okay? And so we come again to verse 21. I'll just read a couple of the verses here. They gave me poison for food, and for my thirst they gave me sour wine to drink. In other words, when I was down, they kicked me when I was down, right? Poison for my food, they slipped it in there. Let their own table become for them a snare, and when they are at peace, let it become a trap. Let their eyes be darkened so that they cannot see and make their loins tremble continually. Two things I want you to notice about this, these angry passages here. First of all, first of all, this is really important. David expresses his anger to God, not everyone else. Okay, that's why Psalm 69. People go, is Psalm 69 kind of my excuse to hate people and be mad at people? No. David wasn't, David wasn't preaching Psalm 69 publicly to his enemies. He wasn't posting Psalm 69 publicly on Facebook <laughs> to his enemies. Okay? He wasn't spewing it out to everybody else this is his journal with God. That's the right place to express your anger. That's why this isn't sin. David isn't doing this to his enemies. David isn't yelling this at his enemies. He's expressing this in the privacy of his time with the Lord. That is the right place to express your anger. And that's why this psalm is not sinful. This psalm is not condoning that we go out and attack our enemies or hurt our enemies. That is not what this psalm is condoning. This psalm is condoning us pouring out our anger to God. That's what it's condoning. The second thing I want you to notice about these angry passages is that they are not the end of the psalm. See, too often we just get embarrassed. Someone shows us these verses. Look at your Bible. That's disgusting. And we go, you know what? From now on, you can just tell people, yeah, look at this. That's not where it ends. Aren't you human? Do you not never feel these feelings? These are feelings we're allowed to feel with God. It's not condoning us doing things based on these feelings to people. It's, It's about bringing our feelings to God. And I want you to notice now that this psalm doesn't end on anger. Right after David finishes pouring out his anger against his enemies, what does he do in this psalm next? He deliberately takes his eyes off of his enemies and puts them on God. Verse 29. I am afflicted and in pain. Let your salvation, O God, set me on high. I will praise the name of God with a song. I will magnify him with thanksgiving. This will please the Lord more than an ox or a bull with horns and hoofs. When the humble see it, they will be glad. You who seek God, let your hearts revive. For the Lord hears the needy and does not despise his own people who are prisoners. This this is the amazing thing about this psalm. He moves through anger to worship. This is how we process our anger with God. He moves through the anger. Now, you can't just jump. You can't jump. You've got to move through it. You've got to feel it with God. You bring it to God. But he moves through his anger. And then, at a certain point, he chooses. And he says, now I, put my, now I take my eyes off of my problems. I take my eyes off of my enemies. And I put them on God. And I choose to worship him. And what happens next is, if you read the rest of this psalm, he begins to be filled with hope. Here's what hope does. Hope opens the doorway for forgiveness to begin to grow in your heart. When you begin to have hope, when you begin to put your eyes on him and you realize that he's in control and that he is good and that he will bring justice someday, you begin to have hope and you begin to get his perspective. And once you have hope, the doorway's open for you to really forgive. But now you're not just giving a forgiveness that is paper thin, that's just over top of the wound. You're giving a forgiveness that has come from the bottom of the wound out. It's a forgiveness that goes to the heart that's not just in the head. So here's a recap. Let me just put it all up there, and then you kind of have, again, my point here is not to make this sound like an easy formula. My point is just to put on what we actually see, the main ingredients we see in this song. Process your anger with God. First of all, remember that it's with God, right? Tell Him your feelings. List out the wrongs that have been done to you. Admit where you've been wrong. And of course, you're not working through this clinically. It might take a while, right? Pour out your anger to God, not everybody else. Turn your eyes to God, off your enemies, and worship God. And out of this, you can begin to work on true forgiveness. Okay? Now, again, this is not a formula. Um, And again, and also, I should say, this process isn't one prayer time in length. Remember that David said, my eyes are, or I'm I'm weary from crying. A process of forgiveness is a process. It takes a while. You'll probably have to do something like this maybe dozens of times. Maybe in some cases, a hundred or hundreds of times. I don't know. But this is a process you do over and over. Don't expect, I'm just going to work through it once. Didn't work. I still hate them. Shoot. So here's my challenge to you, weekly challenge. Try this pattern out with something you're angry about this week. Bring your anger to God. And then secondly, as you continue to read through the Psalms, I would encourage you to continue to read a Psalm a day. As you read through the Psalms, observe this pattern or these ingredients and how often they pop up in many of the Psalms of David. Let's pray and then we will worship. Lord Jesus, you have commanded us to forgive our enemies, to love our enemies and to forgive those who hurt us. I pray, Lord Jesus, that you, would, that you would teach us by your spirit in our hearts, not in our heads, but in our hearts, how to bring our hurts to you, how to process our hurts with you. And as we do that, Lord Jesus, I pray that as a church, you will give us an anointing, that we will be able to forgive and love our enemies from the bottoms of our hearts. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Thank you for listening to this message from Southland Church. For more information or to download this and many other messages, please visit us at myselfland.com.